Welcome to Podagogy's A Learning and Teaching Podcast. I'm Chelsea Jones. And I'm Curtis Maloli. And today we are speaking with Dr. Louis-Etienne Dubois, who is an assistant professor of creative industries and director of the Future of Entertainment Lab at Ryerson University. In shifting his courses remotely this past fall, Louis adapted what he refers to as a slow teaching approach. But to be fair, he didn't necessarily plan to be a slow teacher from the start. So Louis, welcome to the podcast. I want to begin by asking, what is slow teaching? Uh, well, thanks for having me. Uh, slow teaching is, is really, really simple. It's just about kind of slowing things down in terms of about the pace of the delivery, in terms of scaling back on the content that you want to deliver, and just trying to take a, a little bit more of a, a low-tech and high-human right, uh, approach to teaching. That's been my approach for uh, the last few weeks. Yeah, it's interesting when you say low tech and high human, you know, we've heard in many different contexts, people trying to figure out what is the right amount of tech and how do I create connection with my students? So when you're thinking about how you did that and what the kind of practices were that you did, what are some things you tried to do? You know, one of the things that definitely uh, worked well with the students, and I'm not even talking about teaching, I'm just going to go over office hours this semester is I've rediscovered the joy of, of, of a phone call. I used to make the joke that I have a smartphone and the last thing I actually do with that phone is to make calls. And that's kind of, you know, weird when you, when you think about it, you know, I've had a lot of students just calling me and, and having a chat and I guess giving our eyes a little bit of a rest and just listening to each other, uh, hearing each other and just not having to, to worry about screens and, and another uh, Zoom link. So when I think about slow teaching, it's really about kind of rediscovering kind of the small is beautiful, slow is beautiful, and all of these things that have kind of taken a backseat, the technologies that we have, and the, this idea that being engaged or having an engaging classroom is necessarily overstimulation and, you know, and laser beams and hyperactive uh, chat rooms. Uh, it doesn't have to be. Um, and there's a lot of values and again, in just seeing each other, talking to one another. So in terms of specific examples, I mean, uh, I, I have just been, uh, you know, obviously just, just Zoom uh, video calls, not additional tools. Uh, and that's a, that's a choice that I made uh, in part, as you mentioned, out of necessity, uh, because I didn't quite have the internet connection to, su to support very elaborate uh, tools. But also because I, you know, I, I, I kind of wanted to, to look at it from the student's perspective and it might seem uh, trivial or it might seem small for you as an instructor to be using one or two or three, you know, tools that you think are cool. But for a student who's doing this across six at times seven courses, that's a whole lot of uh, tools. That's a massive toolbox. And we can't assume that they're, you know, that again, they have the capacity uh, or that they're comfortable to be using all of those. So I chose to be, uh, to be very, very low tech. And I went back to just, uh, you know, kind of creating a nice environment in which people would want to be uh, and just be really just, you know, we don't know how or where or when even they're, they're connecting with us when they're showing up for class. Some of those students are connecting, uh, you know, they're, they're joining the class and it's, it's 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. <laughs> and, and you don't want to start screaming at them and asking them to be, you know, bouncing around to them. So I made it very, very relaxing. So you would show up, say, for one of my classes and there would be music. There would be a nice background to look at. I'd be outside and, and you'd be staring at nature. 
I even did one of my classes. Um, I was helping out the neighbor with his chickens. So there was, you know, chick kind of chickens running around. It was kind of cool. Um, so something that you would want to be in and just relax, just chill for a bit. Uh, turns out you're also, you know, in a class and <laughs> there's going to be content coming your way. Uh, but it's nice and enjoyable. And you just want to, again, you just want to spend some time in there. Thanks for telling us a bit about what it looks like. And I also get a sense of maybe what it feels like to be with you in this class, um, maybe at one in the morning where you're sitting back and sort of watching these chickens or listening, listening to you talk. You said earlier, you know, that this is about the rediscovery that slow is beautiful. And slow is also very critical. Um, if you think about slow scholarship, you know, it, it demands a very careful reassessment of the conditions of knowledge and knowledge production. And I think what I'm hearing here is another type of reassessment of pedagogy or of teaching production, especially when teaching is, as you say, quite quite a production. There's lots of frills, lots of gadgets and tools to use, and you're really scaling back and trying to relax the classroom. Is there a critical side to this? I mean, in, in what ways does all of this sort of resist our usual teaching conventions? Yeah, I mean, if there is, it, it was not a conscious one, for sure. I didn't start from a place of necessarily wanting to reflect on, you know, how I was teaching or the amount of, of content that I was delivering, you get in this place where it, it feels like the pressure to um, give a lot of content and provide this uh, very, very stimulating experience is really strong. And, and all of this kind of leads you to feeling that you, again, that you have to deliver more than perhaps what you should be doing. Um, and, and it really, really doesn't stop. Now I have to say that, you know, calls for slow teaching were there before the pandemic, you know, there's a body of literature on that, that talks about the benefits in terms of, of knowledge and information retention. All right. So we do know that attention spans are maybe not what they used to be, or at the very least that attention tends to be very, very selective. And so you don't, you, you know, you want to make sure that what you're providing or what you're preparing for the students for any given week is going to hit that mark as opposed to just throwing a bunch of things and hoping that something sticks. You maybe want to just focus on something that has value and, and then just work on that specific thing for that class. So that's something that I ha I've had to do. And I, I took a hard, long look at my content and I have to say, I probably cut back and that's just in terms of slides. I probably cut back about 25% of the slides. And even it's then, yeah. it's, a, it's a good amount. And even then throughout the, you know, as I was delivering that content, that 75% left, I, I would probably, I mean, I don't think I even made it to the end on most weeks. At the same time, you know, I dropped some of that content. I, I don't feel that I've delivered um, something of lesser value or quality. In fact, I, I feel that, you know, the big ideas, you, you know, those key learning outcomes, and when you go back to your syllabus and you look at those learning outcomes, there's just a handful on there, right? I think I probably hit those learning outcomes a lot better than, than I would than in previous years, because I've perhaps dropped everything that was around it that didn't bring as much value. And I was kind of taking some of that precious attention away from uh, those core ideas. 
Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you say that because I, you know, that is something I've heard from from quite a few professors at Ryerson that once they had a chance to go back and look at their outcomes and and kind of assess what was really necessary, there became this extra area to be able to, you know, to really kind of to shift the way they were thinking about their courses, which it sounds like you've done. Um, it's interesting to me that you teach in creative industries, and in my mind, maybe somewhat stereotypically, but I assume you know, creative industries. I I'm thinking about you know lots of technology, lots of media media, social media, all these kinds of things. I wonder when you were thinking about taking this slow pedagogy approach, um, is this in some way actually grounded in your disciplinary background? Can you speak about how your discipline influenced the way you thought about teaching this term? Yeah, I mean, when you when you go back to any kind of, you know, cultural or artistic goods, I mean, it's about, it's about meaning. It, it's about kind of, you know, stimulating the senses. And even then, like, even more than that, kind of creating this harmony uh, with your senses. It's about contemplation. Again, just this opportunity to look at something, to listen to something, to touch something, uh, and to reflect on it and to get lost in your thoughts because of what you're being presented with. That's the power of culture. That's the power of art. That definitely resonates with the, the kind of ambiance and vibe that I was trying to create in my courses. One of the courses that I taught this semester is called uh, Experience Innovation. And we look at uh, experience design, and we look at the principles of um, the so-called experience economy. One of the core ideas of the experience economy is is this notion of time well spent, right? And time well spent is really something that I, you know, it is this very simple idea that I don't want to say keeps me up at night, but I think I go back to it often and often because you're thinking about the you're you're preparing for your class, and you're like, is this time well spent? Right? Is this something in which the students will be joining with whatever devices they have in whatever environment that they're they're at right that they're in right now? Is this time well spent? And I think this is a core idea that comes from the experience economy that kind of informs your design when you're preparing for your class. It's also interesting to look at again from from that kind of background or literature to explore the different types of experiences. And and specifically, uh, there are these two authors, Pine and Gilmore, who wrote in their experience economy book, they say, you know, there are four types of experiences. There's obviously the entertainment one, which is the one we know, the, the most common one. You know, you go to a play, you go to music, you, you go to a music concert. It's entertaining. It comes at you from a distance. You don't really have much say on what's happening on the stage, uh, but it's nice and pleasant and it's it's very, very stimulating. There's the experience that is just merely educational, uh, comes at you from somewhat of a distance as well. Uh, you're supposed to be a little bit more active, right? In terms of you know, not necessarily physically active, but at the very least engage with what you're being presented with. There's a third uh, type of experience that's called uh, escapism or escapist. And that one is about being active, right? So if you go to an escape room, that's, a, that's an obvious one. If you go to laser tag, that's a very obvious one. If you go to kind of these kind of rec room environments, you're kind of moving around and that's also very, very engaging. And there's that fourth one. And that fourth one to me, at the very least, in terms of higher education, I couldn't find a version of this and it's called aesthetic experience. An aesthetic experience is just, I'm going to create an environment in which you can just come in and be and contemplate and have, again, this harmony of senses. 
I'm not going to tell you again in which way you need to go. Uh, I'm going to leave that to you. And I'm hoping that you will draw value from that space. Think of a museum. I mean, that's a great example of it to me of, of a, this type of experience, right? You go to a museum, you just walk around. Sometimes you'll sit in front of a painting, you'll sit on that bench and you'll get lost, uh, right? You'll, you'll, you'll get lost in, in your thoughts. You'll stare at it and then you'll move on to the next one. Perhaps you'll have a little side discussion with somebody about what that means to you. So what about creating that in a classroom environment as opposed to, you know, trying to be some sort of an influencer or a YouTuber, uh, you know, and, and being very enter entertaining? What about just creating something that is, that is a, an aesthetic experience instead? I really appreciate your describing to us what you mean by an aesthetic experience. And I love the sound of it. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about how I might adjust my own classes next semester. What might that look like? However, you know, my classes are in child and youth studies, and they're the type of classes that I think um, could connect to this sort of slowing down and, and this museum style, um, pausing, thinking, reflecting, connecting. If there's listeners out there who are thinking to themselves, okay, you know, this might be really good uh, for Louis and some other people on this podcast, but there's no way I could do this in my discipline. Our, our learning goals are very uh, defined, they're very concrete, and the students have to have particular outcomes. And I'm thinking of, you know, the, the hard sciences and other disciplines like that, where people might say, you know, there's, there's no time for this, and there's no way that I can cut 25% of my slides. Um, would you have any advice for them about how they might be able to sort of dip into this kind of aesthetic experience you're describing in ways that don't sort of compromise what they think are their teaching values or their learning goals? I, I guess part of me would want to challenge that idea to begin with. <laughs> I, I could think of a few instances, I think you're right, in which it's, it's actually quite hard to be cutting back on content thinking specifically when whenever there's some sort of professional certification that's attached to it and you need to hit those things. One of the courses that I, 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 I taught using this approach is HR and it is a, a professional occupation with a professional body of literature and, and uh, you know, accreditation bodies and all that, you know. You could say that even in that sense, HR wasn't the most um, suitable course for this approach. So I would, I would nevertheless kind of go back and see, okay, so what's that big idea? What's that one thing that I want the students to take away from uh, that week, right? And how do I kind of maybe double down on that and, and perhaps strip what's around that uh, so that we, we maybe spend a little bit more time on it, given that we're, you know, again, the students may not be in the best learning environment to be, to be absorbing that content to begin with. We can't assume that it's the same as being in a regular classroom. So that's the first thing I would, I would do, just go back to that one core idea. What do I wanna use the time that we have together for? And if there's a way to send some of that content, maybe some of the content that you are not gonna be teaching as that core idea, maybe some of the content that you're dropping from the, the synchronous uh, part of the course, maybe some of that can be sent the uh, sent to the student in different ways prior or after class so that you can really, really use that precious time that you have them with you to engage in, in more meaningful activities, to engage in more in discussions. It could be about kind of, you know, discussing 
practical implications of these things uh, or how these things are being used in real life just so that you it can kind of anchor them in some sort of reality in some sort of normalcy that we're all kind of longing for uh you know right now so i would i would really want to think about again if i'm going to have a couple hours a week in which we're there in the same virtual space what do i want to be using that time for kind of going back to that notion of time well spent and if if the answer is you know i could have i could have just sent that those, those powerpoint slides or those those notes ahead of time or after then that's not time well spent and there's no kind of incentive for the students to, to be connecting or to be even looking forward to connecting to that class. And, and just in terms of how you choose to deliver that content or how you choose to send it outside of the classroom, um, I've used podcasts and I'm not, I mean, let's be honest, I hate my voice. I don't have the, the, the Curtis voice a, at all. No, no, you got the great pace. I got to say <laughs> your pace is on point. <laughs> I slowed down, you know, I, I've actually slowed down. But I ended up, uh, I ended up kind of, you know, Googling how to do uh, podcasts or podcasts for dummies. And, um, and I did this very, very simple uh, one, you know, kind of DIY. It's ugly. It doesn't sound professional at all. I did put in a little jingle. That's good. And you can use some of your TA hours to get some help with that. So that's great. But you know, what I was able to achieve by doing this is to, again, be sending some of that content to the students outside of the classroom uh, in a way that was a non, non-visual non way. And right now, our eyeballs are just overstimulated. We're on our screens the entire time. So mm-hmm. not only are you kind of engaging another sense, and boy, is audio, that's so powerful. It's Look at just, just the rise in, in podcasts and how people are, are consuming these things. So you're relaxing your eyes, you're engaging in other sense, and you're also giving a lot more flexibility uh, in terms of when and how they can choose to consume that content. So that's also another nice thing about, about podcasts. Yeah, I'm really getting a sense of, of your pedagogy here. And I love this distinction between, you know, when you talk about time well spent and using the synchronous space. And it sounds like the real priority for you is building connection, um, which, you know, in a pandemic moment through remote teaching, you know, is maybe the most important thing that we're that we're missing and that we need, both instructors and students. And then using that kind of asynchronous time or asynchronous, uh, the tools to be able to deliver some of the extras that, that you know, might've been in the three hour lecture before. Um, so the delivery to me makes so much sense. And I love your approach to it, the kind of slow delivery. I wonder on the other side with assessments, has this notion of slow teaching and your priorities around connecting with students, all these things, has that changed how you've done assessment in your course? So I've, I've used the, uh, the podcast episodes. This was a, a new addition to the course. So I've used the podcast as a, uh, a, a way to just create assessments as well. So um, students were asked to write um, up to a couple uh, reflexive essays, kind of listening on those, uh, on those episodes, on those conversations and connecting back to their lived experience uh, or at the very least uh, explaining how this may change their approach to something or make them reconsider something. Uh, and and I'm, I'm talking to kind of upper year students. So there's a lot of, at that point, very pragmatic concerns about, you know, the life after school and, and entering the workforce at a pretty weird time. 
uh, let's be honest. And I think it really helps to, to do a little bit more of sense making uh, and trying to see how we feel about what's happening around us right now. And so about those podcasts, I mean, tying this to assignments was, was easy because I had the opportunity to speak to so many interesting people. One thing that I found right now is people are, you know, I found people to be extremely generous uh, of, their, of their time. And especially in the creative industries where um, things have slowed down a lot, people have spare time. <laughs> I mean, they, they wish they didn't, but they do. Uh, and so I got, I, I spoke to so many fantastic uh, people that, that gave uh, their time and opened up for, for these discussions. I even mentioned that book on the experience economy. I actually spoke to the author uh, of that book uh, for my class. So that was, that was great. So uh, students are asked to do these, um, uh, these assessments, which are um, reflexive essays. And I actually dropped any sort of, you know, marking rubric or overly specific uh, guidelines. I mean, if you want to be consistent here, you're asking them to reflect on something and I'm not going to guide their reflection. It's also in a way kind of this extension of this contemplation that you're, you're trying to create in your classroom. So I dropped the, the, the marking rubric or any sort of, you know, overly specific guidelines. Uh, and I think that that worked quite well. I have to be honest, I, ha I was a little bit uh, worried about exams, in part because, you know, I, I do a little bit of service for the academic integrity office. And so I, you know, it's, it's impossible not to see or to hear about the stories around uh, final exams and plagiarism or cheating. So not that this was the kind of the guiding principle to me redesigning my assignments, but I really want, wanted to make sure that what I was going to be reading was uh, a student's, you know, original work uh, and that also it would provide them with an opportunity to do something meaningful. I said this before, and, and I remember, Curtis, you were a little bit worried about the, the workload <laughs> or what it means for the instructor. So, yes, I mean, I, I have been spending a little bit more time marking some of those assignments. And, and I've even uh, mentioned the fact that uh, some of them didn't count for a mark. It was merely an opportunity to, uh, to give some feedback or to react on what the students were saying. So a little bit more time, although, I mean, it's hard to really, really make the comparison. Like there's nothing scientific about it. It feels like it was more time. But I remember marking, you know, 180 final exams uh, in December each year. And that's that's a whole lot of work as well. So it's a good point. And um, it's not fun work, right? I mean, some of those exams, you're marking the same question 100 times. And it sounds like you're really doing some authentic assessment in the reflections. Well, that's the thing. You hit it right on the head. Um, instead of writing, you know, reading the same answer multiple times, I get very rich and always different lived experiences and how people kind of relate to those things. And I mean, some of those things are really, really uh, interesting. Some of those things are really, really personal. And people, I believe, have a need to speak about what they're going through right now. Uh, and if that assignment gives you this opportunity, and again, mind you, it may not be as feasible in uh, other disciplines, but I guess there's always a way that you can that you can create a space for those kind of discussions or, or sense-making exercises um, as part of your courses. Speaking of the strange times that we're in, or the weird times, as you mentioned earlier, 
Um, we are all sort of going through uh, something new or maybe different as we're teaching in these pandemic times. And I know that in the past, you've been able to talk about some of the gifts of teaching in an era of coronavirus. And as we wind down, I wonder if you could tell us, you know, what, what, are, these, what are these gifts that you're discovering? Yeah, I mean, there are some things that I was able to do this semester that I could never do before. I mean, I'm I'm somebody who's quite kind of I don't want to say kind of an open book, but I I who I am as an instructor is also who I am as an individual, and so kind of sharing parts and bits and stories about my life has never uh, has never been an issue, and I think it just makes um, you know, the person who's in front of the class come across as a lot more genuine and relatable. Uh, and so I've actually embraced that opportunity to welcome the students in my space to see, you know, to see where I live, how I live, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to, to see my, you know, for them to, to see, you know, my one-year-old kind of running around and, and, and crying at the back. She's, she's napping now. So, this is a great window to be doing this, this chat, but that's, that's just part of, you know, who we are as instructors. And I think it's, it's important for the, for the students to be able to connect with that and to see that we also have had our struggles um, different, but, but nevertheless, it was also a little bit of an adjustment for us And that, you know, again, that kind of builds that connection. And this is also true for me being able to see them uh, and to see them in their space every week, I try to have it just at this, you know, moment either at the beginning or at the end, or at some point during the course where I ask, you know, let's, let's look at each other, right. Let's see each other a little bit. And a lot of people just actually just, that's the only time where they will turn on their camera because they want to be seen, but also because they, you know, they also want to take part in that moment and see what the others are up to. And I've had this opportunity to see uh, artwork that students are doing. Um, I mean, Chelsea, there's a painting on your wall now. I would probably ask you about it. I don't know if you did it uh, or if this is something you bought. I didn't do it. I sure you didn't do it. <laughs> well, see, in our program, uh, in creative industries, uh, a lot of our students self-identify as artists, right? Uh, and and you see really, really fun things at the back. And you know, in, in a normal situation, I wouldn't be able, I mean, they wouldn't come to class <laughs> with this massive sculpture or painting at the back or that thing that they were working on. And I get to see it now. Right. And I ask about them and, and they're, I mean, it's, it's unique. That is one of the gifts to get them to know a little bit more uh, and, and to see what, what their life is, is like also. You know what I like about that though? I like, I, I like the idea because, you know, you know, we've heard it's this problem of cameras or, you know, cameras being off. How do we lecture in this context? Um, but I like that you create these little intentional moments where it's like, okay, if you're comfortable right now, let's put on our camera and let's have a couple minutes of connection. And then if you want to turn off your camera while I do the rest of my lecturing, no problem. Yeah. Um, but I love that. That's a great idea, right? Like that way you're not kind of forcing some, some much bigger, uh, you know, uh, you know, or let me put it differently. I think what I love about it is that it gives the students uh, agency to have a kind of defined moment that you share together. You know, I, I try to go from, you know, face to face or kind of window to window saying something about, 
you know, what I'm seeing. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. You know, it's, uh, you know, I can see them maybe perhaps uh, it's, it's a new look that week. That's, that's possible. Or, uh, you know, there's still, I could see it's pitch black uh, outside. So, and it's, it's 9am here. So, uh, you know, where are you at? What's happening? Uh, oh, okay. You're connecting from, from Bangkok. That's great. So how's that going? You know, so you, you can have these, these nice little discussions that you, I mean, you, you would never have those in, in a typical classroom. I've also, I've also, one of the things I did, and again, this would apply, even though if you're doing, you know, nuclear physics, that sounds very complicated when you're a creative industries person. Uh, so say you're doing nuclear physics, you, you can still open up your, your Zoom room 15 minutes ahead of time and to close it 15 minutes after you don't have to stick to whatever what your calendar says and you, you open it up and you allow for the people to come in early and to hang back and you can play some music. I've had uh, kind of spontaneous dance parties, <laughs> depending on my, on my, you know, the, the playlist I put on that day. Uh, and that's great. You know, so we start the day with, we start the class with a little bit of dancing and why not? Right. Um, you know, we'll still gonna, we'll, we'll still cover the material. We'll cover, or whatever we chose to focus on, but we can have these moments that are, that are a little bit more, again, a little bit less tech and a little bit more human uh, as part of our, of our courses. Yeah, that's, you know, that's so interesting because uh, we, at the center, we've been working with student affairs to solicit some feedback from students and, and across the university. Uh, and one of the things that they highlighted sort of universally was that they really valued professors who provided time sort of 10 minutes ahead of class, 10 minutes after class, or even as part of class, but at the beginning of the end, just to connect. And it's just, Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. Yeah, and I have see. a little chat, right? Just say, okay, well, I'm done with, with the, with the classroom. I'm done. I'm done with the, uh, with the content for today, but I'm going to hang back for another 15 minutes, right? Yeah. If you want to chat, if you want to show me something, if you want to, I could put some more music if you want to dance for a little bit more, like, you know, whatever you, whatever <laughs> feels right for you at this time. And that's the idea behind an aesthetic experience is that you come in and you be your yourself, you know, that's, that's the power of it. I've, you know, I've, I put the, um, the, you know, the camera in front of the, I have a fire pit outside, I, you know, I, I lit a nice fire and I played some Michael Bublé. Uh, let me go, let me go home. It's great, you know. There's this, you know, the, <laughs> you know, the, the fire and Michael Bublé's playing, and it's just a great moment. Like, you know, if you're just connecting, and you're like, man, like I have to connect to this other, you know, it might be the third class of the day, and then you just trickle in, and there's there's that, right? There's a fire, there's Michael Bublé playing, and and that just that just sets the tone. It puts you in another mood and probably a lot more positive one uh, for you to learn afterwards. Mm. Well, that does sound very dreamy, Louis. It really does. It really does. I, I mean that sincerely. It just, it sounds wonderful. And thank you so much for being with us today. Um, it's been a sincere pleasure speaking with you. Well, thanks for, thanks for having me and congratulations on, on the work that you're doing. I, I think as instructors, we're, we're all kind of winging it right now and doing the best we can, but there's a lot of value in uh, sharing those practices and, and, and just in knowing that, you know, we're not alone <laughs> and that there's an appetite for, um, 
practices and 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 learning from our peers uh, in order to just get better and to you know to somehow just make it through um, like everybody else. For sure, for sure. Well, you've shared tons today, so thank you for that. And uh, I also want to thank just while we're while we're doing thanks. Uh, you know, we our episode here is being produced by uh, a production support specialist, Chloe Hazard, uh, and an instructional technologist, uh, Sally Goldberg Powell. Thank you both so much for your work uh, and everything you do to make the podcast happen. And another big thanks to the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching for funding this podcast. And we want to let everyone know that we're recording today from our homes in Toronto on Treaty 13 territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, also the Dish with One Spoon territory. And we have more episodes coming up in a month or so, so please stay tuned. 